while Rebecca's watching the freaking Instagram stories that she watches every night that makes me want to stab pencils into my ears and bash my face against the wall. Maybe instead of doing those things, I should... You want me to tell you how I really feel? Ask me a question about Instagram stories. Diz Runs Radio, episode 939, starts in three, two... Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are, end of another month, and around here that can only mean one thing, time for another round of You Ask, I Answer with our little monthly listener Q&A situation, um, as has been the the regular situation of late, we got a lot of questions. So I'll try to tone down the, uh, the little intro here, try to move us through quickly, get right to the questions. Uh, but if you're new around this part, like, like I said, we, we do this every month. The last Friday of each month is dedicated to your questions. You ask them, I answer them. Sometimes, most of the time, they're about running. Sometimes they're about life and uh, something else in between. Uh, but if you want to get questions featured in uh, upcoming Q&A episodes, the best way to do that is to join the Facebook group, which you can get to over at disruns.com slash Facebook, or next time you're on Facebook, just search for the Disruns tribe, ask to join. We'll let you in and uh, hang out, post some memes, crack some jokes, have a good time, learn a few things, ask a few questions uh, just in general. But then for the Q&A uh, episode, you'll notice a post about uh, the middle of the month that says, what are your questions for this month? You put those down in the comments, bada boom, bada bam, we answer them, and uh, that's how this episode comes to pass. So, like I said, got a, got a pretty good list of questions today. Um, hopefully, the answers are at least a little bit useful. So, let's get right to the questions, starting with Michaela, who asks, uh, I heard that setting the incline on a treadmill to 1% to 2% better simulates running outside. Any truth to this? Yes, I think. Uh, I've heard the same thing. I've always heard 1% is plenty. Uh, just enough to, to try to counteract a little bit the fact that, you know, the motor on the treadmill, the belt on the treadmill is doing a little bit of the work for you. So if you're running at, at a treadmill incline of zero, in theory, it would be a little bit like running, I mean, obviously not quite at a slant downhill, but at a little bit less effort required to maintain a certain pace. So I don't know this for a fact. I would imagine that somebody, maybe like Thessaly, who actually loves running on the treadmill, has probably somebody more scientific. No offense, Thessaly. But somebody, some scientific, some some lab somewhere, some exercise physiology lab, or maybe even just some scientist, uh, you know, hired by one of the treadmill makers, uh, probably studied something along these lines of like, you know, if, 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 it, if somebody's exerting X amount of energy to run on a treadmill at 0% incline at whatever, at a 10-minute mile pace... Uh, if we go outside and and try to run on the sidewalk on a flat ground on the sidewalk, they have to increase their effort by X percentage to run at 10 minute mile pace. Bada boom, bada bam, math calculations. Oh, if we if we increase the the uh, incline on the treadmill to one percent, or maybe it's 1.2 percent, maybe it's 0.8 percent. I don't know. Well, let's just call it one. Uh, that's where they they tend to correlate more. All that to say, if you're if you're worried about, or if maybe not worried about. 
But if, if something in you is to try to run at a certain pace, whether, you know, training for a race and you're stuck and you're, I'm going to say stuck on the treadmill, maybe you opt to be on the treadmill. Um, but if, if pace is a concern for you, the, the best correlation out there that I've always heard rule of thumb is 1%. So if, if you're trying to focus on being able to run a 10 minute mile or a 12 minute mile or a six minute mile or whatever, and you're training for that on the treadmill, but you know, you're going to be running outside for, for the actual race or event. You might be wise to, to bump it up to 1% uh, or 1.5% or 2% even to stack the deck against you a little bit to, to give yourself a better approximation for what it's going to probably feel like when you're out on the road or the track. If you're not worried about it as much, you're here to, to log some miles, get some movement in, get some time on feet, etc. You know, maybe, but that that's where probably it doesn't matter as much. So uh, I've always heard that, that rumor as well. I certainly haven't studied it. I haven't crunched the numbers. Um, but it does kind of make sense, I think, when you when you think about it, right? To to just kind of counteract that just a little bit uh, by by bumping it up to one percent. So you know, go for it. I guess Michaela is is the answer. But very good question, and uh, definitely one of those rules of thumb that I've heard in a bunch of places. And maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. I tend to think that it makes enough sense that I would go with it if I was going to be running on the treadmill uh, very regularly, which you know. Heaven forbid, hopefully I'll never have to worry about. But thank you for the question, my, ma- my lady. I, was almost, I, didn't, I wasn't going to say my man. I was going to say my ma'am. That sounded ridiculous. Already was coming out of the mouth. So we'll go with my lady. Thank you for the question, Michaela. Next one from Rob. Actually, next two questions from Rob. First one. When doing yoga, is it recommended to do something to warm up a bit? Seems like static stretching. It seems like yoga would be static stretching to me. If so, what is a, what is good to use as a, as a warm up? Um, Rob, I'm certainly no yogi, but but what your your question makes total sense. And in the the yoga routines that I've done, whether they're on YouTube, whether they're on the Peloton app, I, I Rebecca had gotten some um, yoga DVDs back when like yoga DVDs was was a thing um, that I actually really enjoyed. But the moral of the story here is all of the yoga routines that I've ever done have always kind of included some type of warm-up movement. Uh, a lot of times they're called sun salutations, kind of a, 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 a gentle flow of kind of, you know, stretching tall, bending forward, lowering, up dog, down dog, like kind of this, this, I mean, they call it a flow usually. And you just kind of like that kind of serves as the warm up before you really get into some of the deeper poses or, or holding some of the poses longer, AKA some of those static stretches that you're kind of thinking about. So I would say that if you're going to get into any type of, of relatively structured yoga routine, it's probably going to have a warm up built in. Again, I can't speak for all yoga because I am not uh, an expert on that front by any stretch, but that's been my experience is that they pretty much, oh, unless it's like a, just a real short routine, but if it's a real short routine, then it's probably just focused on some gentle movements anyway, and not some of those longer, you know, like a five minute routine or something like that. Um, which I'm not going to say that there's not a benefit there, but that's going to be less of a deep stretch and probably more of a breathing focus, gentle movement focus. You start getting into 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minute routines. And a lot of times those are going to have a five to seven to 10 minute kind of gentle flow, AKA warm up to help you, you warm up because you're right. I mean, definitely having a little bit of warm up, having, you know, starting to, to gently warm up, wake up the muscles, get the blood flow and things like that. Definitely a good idea when you're going to get into some of those deeper poses and really kind of work some of the stretches, uh, that, that you're, you know, that I certainly get when I do yoga. I don't know. Some of you more flexible people, maybe, maybe there's a little bit, I don't know. Although you just go deeper in the pose, right? So you still get the stretch, um, but definitely good to warm up. Of course, you could always just try to incorporate yoga shortly after a run, go for a walk. I mean, some of those just 
quote unquote common sense type of warmups could also work. And then you could just dive right into some of those poses. But I still think I actually, I would still encourage you to go through a, a typical yoga warmup. Again, the sun salutations or some of those gentle flows, because that's going to help to prime your body, not to just be warm, but to be ready to relax into some of those poses that, that are a little bit difficult, that require a little bit more stretch. Um, so that would be my recommendation for a warm-up. Uh, next question from Rob. What is the time frame for physiological effects from training? Like doing a hard, a hard run or a weight training session. So when would I incorporate them at the end of a training plan to still see benefit, but not so close to the event that they don't help me? Great question, Rob. Something I feel like I've mentioned once or twice, but glad to, glad to re, re-stress it, point it out for you and for others who uh, don't remember, didn't hear it, whatever the case might be. The, the loose time frame, and again, this is a rule of thumb situation. This isn't necessarily a hard and fast, uh, but, but the loose time frame is about two weeks. Could it be 10 days? Could it be 18 days? Sure. Let's just say two weeks for sake of argument, maybe even a little bit longer. Give yourself three weeks for like, for sure, for sure. Uh, but, but that's about what it takes. I, and I always go with the two week guideline. That's what I always heard in my kinesiology classes, my exercise physiology classes, takes about two weeks for the adaptations at the muscular level to take place. Um, so that kind of ties in right with, with, uh, the taper period leading up to a race, right? A lot of times taper periods, uh, tend to be about two weeks in duration. That's because once you get inside that window, there's not a whole lot to be gained by hammering workouts, things like that, doing massive long mile mileage weeks, but you can certainly screw yourself up for race day by being fatigued, risking injury, things like that. So about two weeks makes sense physiologically. And that's kind of why, you know, not that your question was about the taper, but that's kind of why peak mileage, peak volume, epic workouts tend to happen three to four weeks out from a race. And then we taper those last two weeks because at that point, more, more is, is less is more, more is less. No. Yeah. Well, I guess that works both ways, right? More is less, less is more once you get in that two week window before a race. So keep that in mind as races are coming up and tweak your, your scheduling, uh, your training scheduling appropriately. Uh, thanks for the questions, Rob. Appreciate it. My friend. Next question from Anna, uh, back to back long runs on the weekends for ultra training. I've heard a couple of coaches talk about it on another running podcast on my commute and uh, they don't recommend doing it every weekend, but maybe every third or four week, every third or fourth week, with uh, with other workouts focused on quality and speed workouts sprinkled in between. I'm in another build phase for my first hundred at the end of this year, and while I have an ambitious goal of completing it within 24 hours, I most importantly want to be able to get to the start line healthy and uninjured. Curious to hear your thoughts on this. And I mean, obviously that's, that's the, the key, right? Is, is you got to be ready for the race, but you also got to be healthy at the start because if you're not all the training miles that you log kind of don't really matter. So your, your priority is, is obviously on point. Like that's, that's the key getting to the health line or getting to the health line, getting to the start line, healthy and uninjured. And I've heard before said, and I don't can't remember where I can't, you know, give credit where it's due, but I've heard before, like better to be, you know, at the start line, 5% undertrained than 5% overtrained. And I think I agree with that. And I think that's kind of where your head's at. So to your question, you know, what, what are my thoughts on back to back long run weekends? Um, I mean, this is one of those questions where, where the nuance is, is very important and where, uh, every situation is so, so, so different. Um, starting with what is your definition of back to back long runs? You know, um, I think that there's something to be said for, especially for trying to, to train up for a hundred miler, 
um, for doing back-to-back long runs most weeks. But let's define what we mean by back-to-back long runs, right? Like, I'm not going to try to tell you that you should do, you know, back-to-back 20 milers or 30 mile and 20 miles, things like that every single week. That's probably too much. Uh, even if, even if it doesn't wear you down physically, that would, I feel like that would be enough to wear you down mentally. Right? So if that's your kind of definition of like back to back long runs, you know, a a 40, 50 mile weekend. Yeah. Maybe not do those every week. Maybe that's a good, a good target of kind of peaking up to that point every, every month or so you have a real heavy weekend like that. But if back to back long runs are 15 miles, 18 miles, so you're getting in that 30 to 35 mile weekend range. You know, if you've been training for a while, your base is pretty good. That doesn't sound unreasonable to me as kind of a fairly standard. Are you still going to have a cutback week every once in a while? Sure. Are you going to have a peak week every once in a while? Sure. Are you going to b- maybe build up from that? But when you're in the base base building stage of getting ready for this 100-mile race at the end of the year, I mean, I don't think that that, in theory, is too much. Now, I, I don't know all of your, your situation, Anna, and, and where you are training-wise and things like that. So I'm not going to say that that's where you should be right now. But if you are, I don't think that sounds like a bad place to be. You know, it gives you a good place to start building from. So lots of things to consider, you know, total volume, how long you've been running, what your base is like, how you're feeling, um, the terrain you're running on, you know, like, like there's so many variables that come into play, what your life is like, what your recovery routine is like, how quickly you recover from races or from, from training runs from high, high volume weeks. Um, hard to say that you should do it one way or another way, or this is the only way. Um, and I don't know that that's what the, the coaches were talking about in the podcast you're talking about. Um, but just, you know, again, like every third or fourth week to do like a pretty heavy back-to-back weekend. I mean, yeah, that sounds about right. Then have a, a more sustainable, more manageable back-to-back weekend in between as part of the quality work that you're doing to build yourself up. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that, that to me, that's, that's what a well-rounded schedule would look like or well-rounded training routine, something like that would be kind of the framework. Then obviously you color within the lines and make it, make it right to you. But, um, but yeah, I, I hope that that helps. I hope that that makes sense. Obviously, if you have other questions on it, let me know. Thanks for the question though, Anna. Appreciate it. Uh, Lesterberg chiming in from, uh, from the Prairie. Is it a dumb idea to stack races like a race one month, then another long race the next month, and then another ultra the month after. So like a 24 hour race, a marathon, then a hundred K. I want to do them, but I don't know how to frame it mentally. So I hold back on the 24 hour, AKA got to take it easy. So I don't get injured, uh, because the marathon maniac syndrome is uh, strong and what I'd call it. So, uh, John, you know, I, I like, yes, in theory, it's a dumb idea that said it doesn't have to be. And where it would be a dumb idea would be if you're not able to hold back, like you said there. And if you're going to try to push each of those races, that's a, that's, that's, that's a tough thing to do in, in three months to push yourself at a 24 hour event, a few weeks later, push yourself. I guess it's only be a two month span, right? From one race to the next or from first race to the last. But anyway, the next month to push yourself hard for a marathon. And then with a few weeks in between, push yourself hard for a hundred K. Could you do it? I guess. Is it advisable? Absolutely not. Like, because uh, like, think about it. Think about the time frame. Think about the recovery cycle, the, 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 
think about how much training you could realistically do between those races, even if everything went well. You know, if, if you if you hammered it for the 24 hour, if you just pushed yourself to the brink, I mean, we're talking, you know, 85, 90, I mean, maybe for some, you know, 70 miles, 80 miles, 90 miles, 100 miles, 100 miles plus conceivable in 24 hours. If you laid it all in the line, ran strong, ran smart, ran the entire 24 hours, right? So what's the recovery process going to look like that? Best case scenario. I mean, we're talking 10 days before you're into that pain-free plus three range, right? Like probably if you're, if you're just laying it all on the line, I mean, I don't think that's a, that's an unreasonable expectation that we're talking a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Well, now, even if, even if that, the distance between each of those races is, is a full month. So we're talking a full four weeks, four and a half weeks. Now you've only got two weeks from the time you start running again, post 24 hours till you've got your marathon. So what, I mean, so then back to, back to Rob's question, what good are you going to do training wise in that window? Now you don't want to not run at all. You don't want to have any detraining effects, but it's not like you've got enough time to, to, to get any type of, of build back in, to get any type of real volume and benefit from it. So you're going to do kind of skeleton training for two weeks. It's kind of, it's kind of a blend of like getting back into training, tapering, but there's no like progress to be made there. Then you've got your marathon and you go out and you, you try to crush you're trying to run, you know, whatever. And again, making up numbers, three and a half hours, three hours and 20 minutes, three hours and 45, doesn't matter. You're going out there, laying it on the line, running as hard as you can for 26.2 miles, maybe five hours. I don't know, but whatever it is, you're out there hammering. What are we looking at from a recovery window here again? I mean, at least a week probably, right? I mean, every time I've pushed hard on a marathon, I'm not as fast as you, John, but every, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking about effort. Effort's what it what we're talking about here. You're hammering whatever pace you're hammering. I mean, it's been at least four or five days until I can like comfortably walk up and down a flight of steps, easily sit down and stand up from a from a chair or the toilet, whatever the case might be. You know, when I when I have to stop for a picture with a with a toilet around uh, one of my runs out here. Um, but you know, four or five days there. Add your pain free plus three. Now you're at at least a week. And if if you really lay it on the line, maybe. Maybe again, we're in that 10 day range, just like coming out of the, the hundred mile or the, uh, the 24 hour race. So again, now, now we've only got two weeks, three weeks at most, probably between coming out of the, the marathon and getting ready for the hundred K and you got the same situation. Even if you've got three weeks, what do you, you like? You're not going to jump right back into like heavy volume, hardcore training. At least I hope you wouldn't do that coming out of a marathon. And that's assuming that everything goes perfectly, that there's no niggles, there's no aches and pains, nothing like that. You're still going to kind of have, in theory, a relatively, you know, kind of ease back into things week. And then all of a sudden you got two weeks left until your 100K. So maybe you get one good weekend long run in, or maybe you get a little back-to-back situation in there, but nothing too crazy because you're still recovering and now you're tapering again. So to try to stack those races on top of each other like that, with the ambition of running each of them to the best of your ability is difficult because you're, you're almost getting zero quality training in, in that two plus month period where you could stack the races. And, and 
not just for you, John, but for obviously for everybody listening. And, and I feel like I talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, with maybe it was just last week, even with the, the quick tip best of ish episode of running all the races. Like if, if you've got a, a bulky race calendar this year, because of things that were canceled last year, rescheduled this year, you're adding in a couple races here. You're, you're, you're itching to race. You can stack races. You can stack them a month apart, a week apart, provided you don't race them all. Right. So could you do all of those races and run them kind of strategically as workouts? Could you hold back on the 24 hour event? Maybe be out there the whole time, but set some type of rule that for every, every half an hour of running, you then walk for 10 minutes or, you know, I don't know what it would exactly look like, but set some type of rule to, to basically ensure that no matter what happens, that you don't overcommit yourself, aka you don't end up hammering it, trying to hammer it, you know, getting getting that in your in your head so that you do hold back. Maybe you you set yourself a mileage target. I'm going to do 50 miles. Period. If I get 50 miles done in 10 hours, I'm done. If I take it nice and slow and easy and get and and it takes me 18 hours to get my 50 miles, then I'm done. Or maybe, you know, maybe you set some mileage target like that, 50 miles or whatever. And then from there, I'll just walk the rest of the time. But something like that, and it's got to be firm. It's got to be hard. It's got to be something that you're not going to waver with halfway through the event. You know, same thing for the marathon, assuming that the 100K would be kind of the the goal race in this situation. Uh, I think if you're going to stack the races, the final race in the stack kind of has to be the one. That's the one where if you're going to sell out, that's the one you're selling out for. Right, like you're not going to set the middle races. This is the race that, that I'm going to sell out for, because unless you really don't care about the last race, and you're even okay with the idea of selling out so hard at the marathon in this case that the hundred k might not even happen. But if you're if you're dead set on I'm going to do all these races, the only one that can really be the sellout race is the is the last race. So then the marathon, maybe you you, you go out as a you know practice in pace control. So I'm going to run the first half of the, the marathon in two hours. Even if you're a three-hour marathoner, I'm going to run the first half. I'm going to run the half marathon in two hours and then allow myself to push a little bit for the second half you know, and try to finish in, in 3.30 or 3.45, something like that. Um, but setting some type of pace guidelines, pace controls, and then sticking with it, cough, carry, cough, um, but, but like sticking with your, your pace guidelines that you set so that it becomes a fast finish long run. It becomes a training session disguised as a race. Maybe you just run the, the first 20 miles nice and easy. Aim for a three hour and 40 minute first 20 miles and then hammer the, the last 10K as a workout. That, you know, th- There's options there, but the key is, of course, to set those guidelines in place. And then you can kind of taper down, but it's not going to be probably as much of a taper because you didn't sell out. You're not as, as stressed and strained coming out of it. A couple of days, uh, not taper down, but recover. You have a couple of days of recovery ease back into it a week of training and then you're tapering and then you can, you know, have a pretty good base in place, hopefully some confidence leading up to the hundred K and you can go out there and hammer it. But, um, so, so on the surface stack and races, especially long races like that, I mean, it's probably not advisable borderline dumb, but it's only really dumb. If you're like, I'm going to race all these races. Uh, and again, I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm saying, man, you're making it hard to a see progress from race to race B survive that stretch healthy um, 
And I guess there's really not a C. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball is the moral of the story to have a good quality experience at each of those races if you're going to try to hammer them all. So choose wisely. Put guide, guide rails in place for yourself as far as goals, ambitions, targets, workouts, whatever, whatever it takes for you. And if that's not something that you can do, if you're if you're one of those guys, and I'm, I'm borderline one of these guys as well, where it's like, oh, yeah, I can have the plan of just running this race nice and easy, but I'm going to get into it, and I'm going to get competitive, and I'm going to start pushing a little bit, then maybe you need to, to back out of one of those races, probably the one in the middle. I mean, quite frankly, it would be the easiest way to do it. You could run the first one hard, recover, train, taper, and then run the second one hard, the last one hard. Um, but that's something you got to kind of figure out based on rules of the races. Can you defer things like that? Um, you could do them all, but probably not race them all. All right. Uh, but thanks John for the question. Uh, hope all that made sense. Next question from the treadmill queen herself, Miss Thessaly. How do you implement the things you know, you quote unquote should do asked another way. How can you practice what you preach better? You know, it's, it's funny that you ask this question, Thessaly, because I don't know if I knew how to implement the things that I know I should do. If I knew how to practice what I preach, uh, instead of just preaching it, I would be the guy that foam rolls every day. You know, I'd be the guy that makes sure that he gets to bed on time every night. Uh, I'd be the guy that, uh, that does all the things. I am not that guy. So I don't know. Um, you know, slightly more serious answer. And, and this is, again, it's going to be a case by case thing. Cause you got to figure out what works best for you. Maybe that's scheduling something. Maybe that's having a time on the, on the, on the calendar every day. Uh, maybe it's during your lunch break. Maybe it's at in the evening while you're watching wheel of fortune, you know, whatever it is, when, when can you consistently do the things you do that you think you should do that you feel like you should do? Um, you know, how can you kind of habit stack a little bit? I think that's like a term. Um, but how can you kind of habit stack so that you're always going to be doing X, Y, Z when you're doing something else anyway? So again, like if you're going to be watching Wheel of Fortune every night, then lump your foam rolling or your stretching into this is what I do while I watch Wheel of Fortune. Because you know you're already going to watch Wheel of Fortune, so let's make this happen as well. You know, um, Supposedly that works. I can't tell you that it does work because I haven't figured out the right stack yet. Right. Like every day I'm like, all right, well, you know, while I'm, you know, screwing around on my phone or while I'm watching this TV show or while Rebecca's watching the freaking Instagram stories that she watches every night that makes me want to stab pencils into my ears and bash my face against the wall. Maybe instead of doing those things, I should, you want me to tell you how I really feel? Ask me a question about Instagram stories. Uh, but anyway, uh, maybe instead of doing those, those potentially self-harmful things, maybe that would be a good time to just get on the, uh, the foam roller and, you know, I don't know, plug my ears or something. Um, yet I just sit next to her and screw around on my phone and, and try not to make all kinds of very rude comments about the nonsense things that people are talking about on their Instagram stories. Oh, I might dislike Instagram stories more than I dislike the treadmill. And that's saying something. But anyway, um, yeah. So if you can try to stack those habits, make it into something that you're going to do anyway, part of your routine something that kind of just happens automatically. That's your best bet. I think because I still haven't figured it out <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, but, uh, hopefully that, that helps Thessaly and, and thanks for the, uh, the question. And oh, now I'm going to have a bunch of Instagram stories questions next month because Lord knows I'm not going to go back and edit out any of that nonsense. So y'all are going to ask me about stories and blah. 
Thanks, Desley. Next question from Chris Davis. Pre-race meal has been, my pre-race meal has been a bagel uh, with cheese and a banana for a while. Is there any chance it's hurting my performance? Um, I mean, I suppose, but, but honestly, Chris, like, I think that the, the answer is like, how, how does it work for you? Meaning like, do you have a bunch of GI issues during your races? Like, do you have to stop at the porta potty two or three or five times? Like if, if you're, you know, if it sets in your stomach, all right, and you get out there and, and have no GI issues at all, then I mean, hard to say it's hurting your performance, right? Like sounds like it's probably working. Um, you know, are there ways that you could optimize it? Try some different things. Maybe try the timing, you know, play with the timing a little bit, eat a little bit earlier. So you have more time. I mean, all those options are theoretically there, but I, th- this feels like one of those questions to me where it's, it's almost a case of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? Like if you, if you're going and you're having zero GI issues during your, your races, and this is what, you know, what you've been doing for a while. I mean, sounds like it works. If you wanted to color outside the lines, try something different. Go for it. You might find something that works better. You might also find that you spend half of a race in the in the Porta John or, or you know waddling waddling to you know clench everything together to get behind a tree, um, you know because you you rolled the dice. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. I mean, you could make that argument, but you know if it's working, it's working. I kind of feel like like I said, I kind of feel like this is one of those eh, if it ain't broke, you know. Eh. So um, I'm assuming. That since you're wondering if it's working or wondering if it's hurting your performance, that it's probably not overtly hurting your performance, which means that probably just keep on keeping on for, for as far as I'm concerned. Um, so hopefully that, that helps Chris just, you know, trust it and go with it. And like I said, if you want to play with a little something else, play with a little something else and see what happens. Maybe play with it on your long runs, right? So you have a better idea, some confidence on race day, but something to, you know, you can always try to tweak and optimize, but it sounds like if what you got to working, yeah. Keep on keeping on. Uh, next question from Liz. For someone with a history of foot and Achilles issues, is running on the sand, presumably hard pack sand, a bad idea? Um, I mean, probably not advisable, Liz, like to, to be quite frank. Um, you know, when, when you talk about running on the sand, even if it's if it's mostly hard packed, pretty, pretty firm surface, it's still not going to be the same level of firmness as you know, the concrete or the asphalt, right? Probably not even going to be the same level of firmness as, as a good trail. Um, and so anytime you're, you're going with a less firm surface, a couple of things are going to happen. One, your footing is going to be less, I don't know, less consistent, less predictable, which theoretically and in practice, not guaranteed to cause problems, but more likely to, to trigger something, flare something, twist something the wrong way or overstretch or whatever, right? Like more likely to put some type of fluky stress in there when you're running on an unstable surface, even a hard packed sand still going to be a lot less stable. So more likely for something to flare up there. Um, also you're going to have, you're going to have to work harder to maintain certain paces. So if if you're not worried about your pace, if you're just out cruising nice and easy, no, no worry about how fast or slow you're going, then that doesn't matter as much. But if you're the type of runner that's like, Oh man, I I normally run 11 minute pace. And today I'm at 1230. Well, I got to pick this up because you know, Strava, um, that can get you in trouble because you're going to have to push harder. You're gonna have to work harder to maintain a higher pace because of the softness of the surface. Again, even if it's hard packed, um, so you're going to be pushing harder, harder effort, more likely 
Not guaranteed, but more likely that something could flare. So you got two kind of strikes against you. The one area where you could maybe make the argument that it could be okay is that running on that slightly more unstable surface, not slightly more, that definitely more unstable surface, more unpredictable surface in small doses could, emphasis on could, help strengthen, help your feet to get become more resilient, your Achilles to become more resilient, things like that, could potentially help to mitigate some of those problems. My word of caution there, however, is that it's probably a very slim margin between X amount is beneficial and X plus one is not just neutral, but like things are flared up and pissed off in your foot or ankle, right? And so you don't like, I don't know how much you want to roll the dice with that. If you're on vacation at the beach and like, you know, it's just sunrise and like, I just would like to get a couple of, of strides, you know, a couple of hundred yard little, little jogs in here. I mean, hard to find fault in that type of idea, right? You're playing with the kids, something like, I mean, you know, hard to find fault in that too much. Like you still got to live life, but to be like, Hey, I'm going to go for a 10 miler on the beach. Like that, I would say that's pretty good chance of being X plus like a lot and, and potentially really flaring some stuff up. So, um, probably not the best idea a little bit. Maybe you can get away with proceed with caution on how much a little bit actually is. Um, but, but I would say let's, let's try to get a good period of your feet and Achilles tendons being non-factors before we throw a variable in like beach running or sand running or anything like that. All right. So hope all that makes sense. Hope that doesn't rain on your parade too much. Um, but, but again, this is one of those instances where like, do you want to take a chance if you want to? I mean, you know, you can go for it, but you might be surprised how little it takes to wind up paying the, paying the price, the paying the price as a result. So, uh, good luck and, and make, make smart choices. Ms. Liz, uh, next block of questions. It's, it's the Mona block. It's the Mona hour. Uh, Mona's Mona's monthly three or four or five questions, whatever. I think we only got four this month, but, uh, one of them's a doozy. So we'll get there. Uh, first question, how is the back frame working for you? Denny, I remember you mentioned a while ago that you got something for posture corrections. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, Hey, thanks for the reminder, Mona. I should probably put that damn thing on once in a while again. Um, it's been, a, it's been a while since I've used it. Although honestly, and, and maybe this is just me trying to justify it potentially, probably that's what it is. But like, I feel like in the times that I've worn it, which I wore it fairly regularly for a couple of weeks. Like, I don't feel like I'm as hunched over as I used to be while sitting at the computer. So maybe that means it works. Could I still improve? Would I still benefit from holding my shoulders back a little bit more? Probably. Um, but I don't feel like I'm as, as consistently hunched over as I used to be. Maybe, maybe not the, the, the case. Um, but it's been, it's been kind of just hanging out here next to my desk for probably, I don't know, eight weeks now since I've used it. Um, so yeah, I will say this, it works a lot better when you're using it than when you're not. So, you know, kind of like a foam roller works a lot better when you use it, uh, than when you don't. So there's, there's another area I need to, to habit stack, right? I need to, to get that, that cue habit of put it on when you're doing X and see if it kind of, you know, just kind of continues to, to get my shoulders back, my chest opened, things like that. Uh, next question from Mona. Seriously though, What's the deal with so many toilet seats in your neighborhood? I, I don't, I honestly don't know. And, and if, if you have no idea what we're talking about, um, 
obviously you don't follow me on Instagram or you don't pay attention to Instagram, which is fine. Cause I don't pay attention to Instagram really either, except for comments and, and DMS and things like that. Um, but I, I see a lot of people in my neighborhood throwing away their toilets and I have no idea why, like our neighborhood is, I mean, I guess it's at like 15, 15 to 20 years old at this point. Uh, I think our house is about 15 years old. Uh, but we were one of the later houses. So maybe, maybe 25 years old for some of the, the houses that were first built in our little subdivision area. Um, but I feel like a good porcelain toilet has a shelf life of a lot longer than, than 20, 20 to 25 years, right? Like, like the toilets at my parents' house that were, they were there when I was five and I'm not 30. So they've been there for more than, more than uh, 25 years. Pretty sure they were there before my parents bought the house. So like, I just honestly don't know. I, I, I do have a feeling that like certainly people are updating, modernizing things like that, especially when, when new people move in and maybe want to redo the bathrooms, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I feel like when you're doing that, like, like you don't have to replace the, you don't have to replace everything, right? Like you can, you can, um, you know, maybe replace the vanities, maybe replace the cabinets or the flooring, but like the toilet, like that's one that like we can save a few hundred bucks and like just keep the same toilet right? Uh, maybe even just replace the toilet seat situation there, uh, but keep the bowl in the tank, but not the people in my neighborhood apparently, because I don't know how, I, I mean, I haven't been keeping track. I haven't counted, but dozens, I don't know if, I don't think we're probably at a hundred yet, but multiple dozens of toilets that have been thrown away in my neighborhood in the last few years. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. And I have no idea why everybody's just getting rid of them when they redo the bathrooms of their house. It makes zero sense. Zero sense. Uh, next question from Mona. I have some stretches of road in my run that uh, I have a perceived notion of being boring. And I wonder why it's all in my mind. And I, I like to, uh, I like to run by the library, but the long road from my house to the library is something that I don't enjoy at all. Have you ever felt that during your runs? Uh, I always struggle to be present during that part of my route. Is there a way that I can change or fix that perspective? I don't want to open my, my garage and get the car out at four 30 in the morning to drive somewhere just because this one little segment of my route seems boring. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've had, have issues with certain segments of road or certain, you know, like even my neighborhood. I mean, if you, if you notice my, my Strava stuff, um, you know, my Monday through Friday route looks pretty much exactly the same because it's pretty much exactly the same. Like the only excitement I get is who's throwing their toilet away today, right? Uh, everything else is the same. And at least probably three of those five days, it's the same order. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I get bored sometimes and there's certainly some, some segments of, you know, some of the longer run routes that I do where like, yeah, it's kind of boring to do this, this stretch here. Um, you know, so ways to, to spice it up if possible, can you like change the route a little bit? Um, you know, I don't know what the, the exact route is from your house to the library, but if you enjoy that, that library area or whatever you enjoy running there, is there a different way to get there? Even if it's slightly longer or slightly shorter, can you, can you go a different route to still make that happen? Um, are there other routes you could run so that instead of doing the same stretch every day, it's once a week, maybe that would make it a little bit more tolerable. Uh, can you shift your route? And I don't know, man, I mean, if it's just a straight out and back, there's nothing you can do, but like if you always run that boring stretch on your way to the library and then you putz around and you get through some other areas and then you get back home to finish your run. Can you go the other direction? 
so that you're going the other other ways and putzing around and yada, yada, yada. You get to the library and then you do take that boring stretch at the end and maybe just a different time of day or different perspective coming at it from the other angle, being more fatigued than you are at the beginning or vice versa, doing that section first when you're less tired. Maybe that would help spruce it up a little bit, or at least make it a little bit less mundane, a little bit less monotonous. Um, the other thing or question or whatever is, you know, nothing's... And, and this is where I have to put the disclaimer out there that like, I'm a dude. And so running by myself with headphones on, like is not something that I feel very worried about doing. And I know for the ladies that that's not always the case. Um, but if you feel safe, if you feel comfortable and if you don't, by, by all means, don't try to force this to make it happen. But if you feel safe listening to something, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, in my view, at least there's nothing wrong with putting on some music, putting on a podcast, putting on whatever, and just kind of not being quote unquote present in your run during that stretch. You know, I mean, just get through it. And then when you get to the, the areas that you more enjoy running or there's more visually stimulating things to look at, then you click off the music, click off the podcast and really check back in and be, be mindful and be present. You know I mean? Like, yeah, great to be mindful your whole run, but nothing says you have to. Nothing says there's anything wrong with just cruising once in a while, zoning out, or maybe even you just zone out with thought. You, you don't have the extra distractions, but you just let your mind wander. You think about all your, your to-do list for the day or what you need to do next week or plans for the, the, you know, the, the upcoming birthday party or vacation or, you know, whatever it is, just let your mind wander. And then when you get past that boring stretch, then all right, ah, now I can check back in. Now I can get back present with myself. Um, I mean, I think that's okay. I, to me, that's okay. If that doesn't sit well with you, then, then, then that's okay too, obviously. But you know, I think that it'd be okay to, to just kind of not feel like, and maybe, you I know, mean, maybe there's something in that too of, if I'm reading your question correctly, feeling like you feel the need to be present all the time. And like, not that there's anything, anything wrong with that. Not that that's a bad thing at all, but flip side, not necessarily a bad thing to just kind of not be present all the time. Shoot, Lord knows I'm not present most of, <laughs> maybe not most of the time, but most days there's at least a segment where I'm like, God, how did I, how did I get to this point already? Like, how am I already here? Wow. Well, I guess I just zoned out, you know? And, and I don't know, maybe I'm just okay with that. Um, but you know, I don't think you need to, to fight it necessarily either. Um, last question from Mona and it's, it's a long one and I'm not entirely sure what the question is, but I'll give it my best Mona. Uh, sorry. Sorry for the confusion on my end here. I'm sure I'm missing something. Uh, but the question, the, the, the question comment, whatever you want to call it starts out with my 12 year old son wants to run with me. Uh, some days of the week, I have two issues. One, he wants to do it in the afternoon or right after my runs. And two, the kid is fast and I can't, uh, be listening to a podcast or anything. Um, and I can't be listening to my podcast or anything. So the last time we did it, I didn't enjoy it at all. The pounding of the footsteps right next to me and the listening to his heavy breathing, uh, was bothering me. He was sprinting and stopping and I could see that he is a strong runner and will eventually find his pace. I don't want him to stop running. I want him to run, but I don't have time to accommodate it with my schedule with strength training and all. How can I get him to do what he loves? Not necessarily with him. Uh, I swear I don't enjoy running with someone I know just, just in general, not that it's just your son. You just don't like running with others. Okay. That's fair. Um, races are so much fun and easier and it never bothers me there, but have this, this feeling around me, uh, this, this thing around me to run alone, to not run Sorry here. Can't struggling to read. I have this, this icing around me to not run alone along with someone I know. Uh, could it be something I need to get used to? Uh, my friends run together sometimes and, 
you know, I wouldn't mind doing it with them, but I definitely like running by myself instead. Um, so again, not entirely sure what the question is. First and, and foremost, um, obviously, like, there's there's no right answer when it comes to running with people or not, right? Like, part of it, a big part of running for most of us, for all of us, I think, is that, you know, it's something that we do for ourselves. Whether that's with other people or not, it's something that we enjoy doing, right? And so, you know, you can make the argument sometimes that, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit, that leads to growth. Not wrong. But if you really enjoy just the solitude of running by yourself on a regular basis, like there's nothing wrong with that. The flip side, and and I don't want this to come across as parenting advice because that's I'm, I am in no way, shape, or form qualified to give parenting advice. But I just wonder, Mona, if potentially two years from now, five years from now, whatever, um, you might be kicking yourself for not trying to enjoy the time running with your son in this phase of life when he wants to run with you. Okay. And, and I, again, I mean this with all the, the love and respect and, and, and there's nothing, there's no animus for me at all. There's no judgment. There's no nothing. Right. Just thinking out loud of like with where Addison is and her running right now, she's six. So, you know, but like when she wants me to go run or she asks me to, can we go for a little run? Like, yes, because I don't know if when she's 12, if she, when she's 20, if she'll still be into running and I'm certainly not going to force her. Right. Um, so the opportunity to run with my kid, I'm taking it. And again, there's, there's no, this isn't parenting advice. This isn't me telling you what you should do as a parent, but I just, I just wonder if maybe this is a small window where your son is wants to run with mom and that window may close when he's 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 or whatever. And there's no guarantees that it would ever open again. And 10 years from now, would you be kicking yourself for not running with your son when he was 12? So something to think about. Yes, you might not enjoy it. Yes, there might be so much huffing and puffing and way too fast and, and all of those things that are not ideal. But maybe this is one of those situations where you go, you know what? All the negatives, the positive of time with my boy outweigh all the negatives, right? On the, the bigger scale of how do you, you know, running with other people, things like that. Um, you know, again, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, do you enjoy it? And, and maybe, you know, may, maybe there's something that, that you, some game you play with your son where you do a little bit of running with them and then say, Hey, you know, I would love to run more with you, but like, you're, you're so fast, like your, your stops and starts, like, I can't, ha- I can't keep up with you, but then like you burn yourself out so quickly that I, that, that, that causes a problem. So maybe, you know, you, 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 you encourage him to do some running on his own and work on pacing. And obviously, you know, again, this obviously depends on where you live, safety, all those types of things. But at 12, I mean, like, you know, hopefully the area you live would be the type of place you could say, Hey, you know, go run a mile around the block or whatever uh, and work on pacing. And when you can run a consistent pace for that mile, then I'll run with you the next day. And maybe you'd find that a little bit easier than the huffing and puffing and stopping and starting. And that that gives him something to be proud of, to work towards. And then you can run with him every so often to kind of gauge the progress and give him some pointers and give him some tips. Um, and maybe that would make it a little more tolerable. And it also maybe wouldn't be this type of thing where you're doing it every day with him, but you know, once a week on Fridays after school, that's your standing run date or whatever. Um, but as far as running with other people that, that you, that, you know, other running friends, that like nothing says you have to do it, right? Like plenty of good reasons to run solo, plenty of reasons that, that I enjoy running with other folks as well. Um, 
but ultimately you got to do what works best for you, what you enjoy doing. And if that's running solo most of the time, maybe sucking it up to run with your kid every once in a while. I mean, do that. Don't, don't worry about feeling like you need to run with other people. Like that's fine. That's fine. Whatever works for you works for you. And that's, what's most important. So thank you for the questions, Mona. And again, I hope that last one didn't come off as judgy because there's not judgy there. I just wanted to, to give you that thought. And if it hits home, it hits home. And if not, Dismiss it. No worries. Okay. Uh, next question from uh, Lewis or next couple of questions here from Lewis. First one, how do you handle doing easy runs while you're doing a run streak? Lewis, that would, uh, that would, uh, infer that I do run streaks and I do not do run streaks. So I don't really know. Although spoiler alert, you heard it here first, folks, there might be a run streak in my future starting tomorrow, starting in the month of May. Uh, no guarantees, certainly no guarantees on how long it's going to last. Uh, I can guarantee this. If it does last, it will last for 30. Well, I guess it'll be longer than 31 days because 31 days will be a Monday. So it'll be 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. It'll be 36 days at most until I get my day off. Um, smart money would be like 10 days. It's probably the most that it's going to happen. If it, ha- if it even happens, we're not even sold on it yet. And we're talking like a couple days from now. So, you know, I don't know. But all that to say, Lewis, your question, how do you handle doing easy runs while you're doing a run streak? I mean, I feel like, and I'm biased, I'll admit, I'm biased, I'm biased against run streaks and I'm biased for easy runs. Okay. So I got, I've got two biases working in pretty much the same direction here, but I would argue that if you're going to do a run streak, you should almost only do easy runs. Like you should very, very rarely mix in any type of intensity, any type of hard run. All right. Because your body's not getting that extra time off to rest and recover and rebuild after hard workouts. So if you're doing, if you're running hard most of the time, I mean, good luck. Hope it works out for you, but I feel like you're, you're, you're playing with fire. Okay. Um, so, so definitely something to, to keep in mind that like probably run easy most of the time especially on a, I mean, run easy most of the time anyway, right? Like that's, that's, I'm firmly in that camp. If you're run streaking, oh my gosh, d- double down, triple down, run easy most of the time. So, so then the question becomes, how do you handle doing easy runs while you're doing it? Well, I mean, that's just what you do. You run easy period. So hopefully, you know, not being dismissive, but that's, that's kind of where I stand on easy run. Like that's, that should be your bread and butter of your, of your running streak. And then a little bonus May 10th will mark one year since you started your streak. Well, congratulations. Clearly what you're doing is, is working well. Um, but again, if you're, if you're pushing the the pace, pushing the effort most of the time, like, I don't want to bring any bad voodoo on you or anything like that, but like, uh, like you're, you're playing with fire, my man. And I don't want to see you get burned. All right. So hopefully you can keep going. Hopefully you can maybe back off on the effort a little bit more, run easy. Most of the time, mix in a workout here and there. Uh, and keep streaking as long as you keep enjoying it. Cause that's, that's ultimately the key. As long as you're enjoying it and you're staying healthy, you know, kind of hard for me to, to say too much against it, even though I'm still going to say something against it, but in, in, in an individual case, you enjoy it. It's working for you. You're healthy. You know, I mean, keep on keeping on, I guess. Uh, other question from Lewis, do you have a soda energy drink or other caffeinated beverage before your run as a pre-run energy or for post run recovery? Um, I mean, not really, but pre-run, absolutely not. And here's why. Not necessarily because I think they're, I don't necessarily think they're good, but not necessarily because I don't, I think they're bad. Uh, the reason I don't have anything other than water before a run, especially before a long run, um, is 
because I do the heart rate training stuff. And the last thing I want is some caffeine, some energy, something that potentially could be increasing my heart rate, right? Like I want to be in control. I want to know the effort that I'm running is the effort of my body to run and not some type of external factor. Um, again, I mean, I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm saying that's why there's no way that I would. There's no way that I do. All right. I used to drink coffee before my runs to help me wake up. Not anymore. Water period. Post run coffee, hundred percent, 365. Doesn't it, I defy you to convince me that there's a temperature where it would be too hot to have coffee after a run. I don't believe that that number exists. So give me, give me my coffee black after my run. Uh, give me my fatty coffee on Saturdays after my long runs. Um, and I'm a happy boy. That's all I need. I don't need any of the other nonsense. Nonsense. I just need my coffee. I don't even need it. I want it though. I want it something serious and I'm going to get it. That much is certain. So uh, thank you for the questions, Lewis. And again, congratulations on uh, the run streak. You know, touch wood that it doesn't, doesn't fall apart between now and the 10th and you get that full year. And if you want to keep on keeping on, then keep on keeping on, my friend. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, next question from Carly. Does training... I'm sorry. Can't read, apparently. Does timing of foam rolling make a difference? Before a run, after a run, or is it all the same? I try to do it when I have time, which is never around my run. So, Carly, great, great question. And um, one of those answers that, like, don't overthink it, right? Like, could you make an argument that maybe it's more beneficial if you did it right after a run? Sure. Could you make an argument that it could be helpful to do a little bit of foam rolling before a run, especially if you got some some sore muscles, some tight muscles, things like that to help loosen it up as part of your warm up? Sure. Is it better to do it whenever you can do it as opposed to trying to pigeonhole yourself to say it has to happen right before, or right after? Absolutely. So, um, you know, from the guy who talks about foam rolling all the time, yet hardly ever foam rolls, do it when you can. The biggest, the biggest benefits of foam rolling come with consistency. Just like a lot of things in life, consistency is is pretty important. Uh, consistency with foam rolling is going to give you the best the best return on the time investment. Um, and so, you know, if you mix it around, and some days it's a little earlier in the morning, some days it's right before bed, some days it's at lunch, some days it's before run, some days it's after. Like that's fine. That's fine. You get you you get some benefits. All right. You know, will you get a hundred percent benefit or will it be ninety seven percent? Well, like ninety seven percent is all right. You know, well, and I'm making up those numbers, of course, but like, you know, if you want to split hairs, maybe it's more beneficial right after a run, but we don't need to split hairs. Life's too short to be splitting hairs on things that are relatively inconsequential. Get it done when you can get it done is, and especially try to be consistent. And if that consistency day to day, consistency of time of day, eh, fit it in when you can get it in. All right. Uh, but thank you for the question and, and good luck being consistent there. If you figure out a way to make it happen. Maybe it's watching Wheel of Fortune. I don't know. Maybe I should start watching Wheel of... Maybe that's the answer. Maybe if I started watching Wheel of Fortune, I would foam roll more often. Um, but if you can figure out a way to consistently make it happen, let me know. Because I need uh, a reminder, a stack, a habit, something to, to latch it to and get it done. But thank you for the question, Carly. Appreciate it. Next one from Mississippi coming from Neil. If iliotibial band syndrome, if ITBS is the is related to that band coming becoming tight, so kind of that, that IT band getting tight and rubbing against things that, uh, shouldn't it be that it shouldn't be rubbing against. Ooh, got some technical terms there, Neil. Sorry. I, I'm screwing up my reading there. Um, but could compression gear exacerbate the problem? Ultimately that's, that's the question. Could wearing compression tights, compression shorts make it band issues more prevalent. Um, 
in theory, yes. Is it a guarantee? No. Uh, because ultimately what, what you're dealing with with IT band syndrome um, is, I mean, you're right. It's, it's the, the IT band being tight, um, but typically it's because the, the muscle in your, in your, the, the psoas muscle, or the, uh, the, yeah, the psoas muscle, the muscle up in your, your hip area, doing extra work uh, to stabilize your core, to stabilize your hips, pulling up, and then it puts more tension on the, the IT band, which is kind of like, kind of like a tendon. It's not a tendon, but kind of like a tendon and pulling on your knee, pulling things out of alignment, shifting things, shifting stresses, yada, 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 rubbing, grinding, paint. Okay. Um, could compression gear exacerbate that, amplify it? It could. It's not guaranteed. And it might be something where you might find, and I don't know if this is the case, but you might find that one pair of compression shorts bother the hell out of your knee. One pair of compression shorts that have, you know, a little bit of different stitching or the, the way the compression is, is, you know, graduated. Maybe they're a little bit looser, a little bit tighter, whatever may not cause any problems at all. So I wouldn't say that it's in your head. If you're like, God, every time I wear that, my compression gear, like my, my knees a little bit more angry with you, that very well could be, could be the case. It, it also very well could be the case that sometimes it flares up. Sometimes it doesn't. Why? Well, like if you start paying attention, if it is related to the compression gear that, you know, the, 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 the black pair irritates it and the, the blue pair doesn't, you know, and like, and who knows why any number of factors, why could be something where if you, if you, you know, pull up the, the, the bottom hem a little bit, pull it up. So it's not quite as close to your knee. If it's loose enough to do so on your thigh, that could be enough to, to relieve the, the pressure. Okay. Um, because ultimately it's, it's possible, but it's not likely that a little bit of external pressure, unless they're really tight enough, they're really tight. Again, if, if it's really snug, maybe, maybe it's also changing your form a little bit, making your muscles work a little bit less to have that compression going on. Um, so all that to say, it could be, it's, it's, it's something that I think that it's a reasonable conclusion that there could be a connection there. And as such, it could be something that would be worth playing with, experimenting with, trying different, different types of compression. Do, do you never have issues when you're not wearing compression, but when you do, you, you sometimes have issues. Like it's, it's something to, to maybe run some experiments with to take note of and try to figure out if you can, if, if it really is a problem, if it's kind of in your head, if it's a little bit of both, if it's sometimes not all the time. Um, but it very well could be, it very well could be. So good, good potential observation, need a little bit more study, need a little bit more gathering of data to determine if there really is a connection for you, Neil. Um, obviously again, some people may, some people may not, but it could be very well could be. So something to think about something to, uh, to pay attention to and see if there's a little something there when all is said and done. Uh, but thank you for the question, sir. Uh, now it's, it's time. It's time for the monthly Tom trifecta. Here we go. Three questions from Western New York. First one from Tom. Uh, you mentioned last month that you like running in the warm rain. How do you feel about running in a cold 35 degree Fahrenheit rain? We see a fair amount of this kind of weather here in Western New York and far fewer 70 degree rainy day mornings. Well, it's Tom. <laughs> if I, if I said that I enjoy running in the warm rain, I feel like by default, you could infer that that means that no, I don't much care for running in the rain when it's 35 degrees, 35, like what the, what the Southerners don't understand. And you Southerners here that have never lived up North, never had the experience of winter. What I'm happy to, to inform you with is that running in 25 degree snow is a thousand times more comfortable than running in 35 to 40 degree rain. And it's not even close. 
And all you Northerners, you know, you're nodding along. Go, hell yeah, it is. All right. So yeah, running in a 35 degree rain. No, thanks. Hard pass, especially early in the morning, early in the morning. There's a, I don't care what the day, like, unless it may be race day, but outside of that, it's, it's, it's January. We have some days where it's 35 degrees in January. It's January, 35 degrees and it's raining. I give you a hundred percent guarantee that I'm not running through my neighborhood for six miles on that day. At least not at that time of day. We're going to, we're going to call an audible. We're going to have some coffee, you know, to, to Lewis's point here, we're going to have some coffee. We're going to say that, yeah, my heart rate might be a little bit higher, but hopefully by noon, one o'clock, hopefully the rain stops and we can go get our miles in then. Cause it still might be 35 degrees, but 35 and dry, not a factor. 35 and raining. Ho oh, oh, factor. Um, so yeah, 35 and rain, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. One of the perks of living in Florida, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, for you Northern folk, um, you know, yeah, I, that sucks. That sucks. Good luck. Um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's where you get some, some high quality rain gear. Whereas I'm like, heck, I don't need any rain gear. Like just take it all in, take in this rain when it's 70 degrees, maybe even 65, certainly when it's 75. Now we're talking, now we're talking a nice, cool rain when it's 75, 80 degrees. Oof, that's some good, that's some good stuff right there. 35 degrees, 40 degrees. Nope. Hard pass. Next question from Tom. Do you plan on traveling to any races this year? Parenthesis Orlando doesn't count. Tom, I'll just tell you right now that going to Orlando is, is one of my least, like I might prefer running in 35 degree rain over going to Orlando for anything. Disney, you know, like obviously Disney's kind of like, if you don't live here, Disney's Orlando, but if you live here, Disney's not Orlando. Um, and even going to Disney is a little bit like, I like Disney getting there, eh. getting all the way to Orlando. No, zero desires to go there. Um, all that to say, like, so, so yeah, I won't be running any races in Orlando. You didn't need to put the disclaimer in there. Um, am I traveling anywhere outside of the, the local region for races this year? As of right now, no firm plans, nothing set in stone. There's a possibility of something coming into view, uh, in, in later in the year, obviously depending on COVID and things like that. Um, but now that I've, I got, I got jabbed the other day. So now that I'm, um, you know, in two weeks or whatever, in 10 days, I'll be, uh, uh, fully, fully inoculated. Um, so that might give me a little more, you know, willingness to travel. Uh, cause I, being there running the race, I don't really have a problem there, but it's, you know, getting there flights, things like that, that a little bit more sketchy about. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe Arizona might be on the map this year. Uh, details forthcoming if it does end up happening. Um, that's the only one that's even like on the back burner. Um, but you know, most of my races kind of come out of nowhere anyway. Uh, when opportunities present, you know, like I try to act. So right now that's the only one that's, that's, that's maybe, um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I don't have any plans to answer your question, but I don't have any, like, it's not for lack of I'm unwilling to make plans. If something pops up, makes sense, works out like, yeah, I could see myself traveling for a race this year. Um, we'll just see, we'll just see how things, how things ultimately shake out over the next, uh, eight months. Right. Uh, last question from Tom, last of the trifecta in the age of COVID, will you stop at race aid stations or carry your own water? Um, I mean, honestly, I've been carrying my own water for the better part of the last two or three years. Um, it's way less of a pain in the tuchus to just have water with you than it is to worry about when aid stations are and dealing with the nonsense of like, especially at more crowded races of the nonsense of like everybody diving over to the aids to the water stops and things like that. Like I'd rather just carry it way easier, 
way easier. So, you know, it, it, that doesn't, the COVID doesn't play a factor into whether or not I'll carry water for races. Now, in a, in a moment of honesty, like if, if, if I'm right there on the line of qualifying for Boston and you could make the argument that like carrying the extra weight of the water, you know, might be the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. Um, maybe then I'd leave the, the, leave the pack at home and just, you know, try to lay it all out there. We're not there yet. Uh, so for right now, yeah, we'll be, I'll be carrying my own water for any races that I do this year or, or in the foreseeable future. Um, you know, whether, you know, whether COVID is a thing that's, that's around, you know, indefinitely or whether it's, you know, kind of runs its course at some point this year or next year. And it pretty much, you know, goes the way of smallpox, um, which obviously hopefully that's the case. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I have no issues there. Will I still stop at aid stations? I mean, yeah, you know, for, obviously like it's going to depend on the situation, how the science continues to evolve. And by evolve, I mean, as we continue to learn more about transmission, you know, like kind of how science works, it's, it's constantly moving. It's constantly changing. We learn more, we observe more the scientific method at work. Um, but from what, how I understand it now, it may be you know, a little bit different when you're talking about putting food in your mouth. Right. But like the biggest it's, it's, it's for the most part, COVID is an airborne pathogen, meaning that on the surfaces, like it's, it's less likely to transmit that way. Um, now, you know, you could make all the hygiene issues you want about rummaging through like, you know, especially at an ultra, right? Like rummaging through the, the, the thing of M&Ms or the thing of potato chips with everybody's sweaty, gross hands. Like, like, I mean, you know, you, you, like I don't, I don't pretend like that's not a valid argument of like, ugh. But like, you know, I, I don't really care much about hygiene. Like I'm, you know, whatever. So like, that's never bothered me before. So I kind of feel like that probably wouldn't bother me currently. Um, especially if we get to a point where cont- cases continue to go down, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Um, you know, it kind of ceases to become a, a real front of the mind thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to stop at aid stations. Like that's, that's part of the reason for doing ultras is to get the, the you know, the food troughs at the aid stations, right? Um, somewhat tongue in cheek, but, but a little bit of seriousness there too. So yeah, no, no problem stopping at aid stations, but it won't be for water. It'll be for the goodies that uh, are available. You know, like, you know, my, my, my old mantra is still there. Never say no to potato chips on race day. Your mileage may vary. That might not be something that you want to do, but for me, whew, a little bit of, yeah, I bet you can't eat just one lays on race day. I mean, I'm not going to eat a bunch, but I'm going to have a few and it's going to be a good salty little goodness at mile 17 or 29 or whatever, uh, potatoes on rate, potato chips on race day, big fan. Um, so thank you for the questions, Tom, as always next couple from, uh, Ms. Melody. First one, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be? So, um, how little are we talking here? Like early, early days. I mean, you know, I was like your typical boy, right? Like sports fan, small town, growing up, playing, playing whatever sport was in season. So, I mean, probably, you know, at any point from, you know, I don't know, zero to 10 or so, um, you asked me what I wanted to be, whatever sport was in season, I wanted to be a professional athlete there. Uh, nail it down. Probably baseball was like my jam. Um, but you know, like during, during football season, I wanted to be a football player during uh, soccer season. I wanted to be Pele during basketball season. I want to be a basketball player. Um, you know, at some point, you kind of get that realization, at least I did of like, yeah, I am not going to become a professional athlete. And at about at 10, uh, took my first trip to Florida, came with, with two of my aunts, um, did the whole Disney world thing and sea world thing, went to sea world, uh, fell in love with manatees and decided then and there that I wanted to be a marine biologist. 
Um, I mean, all in. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to work at SeaWorld. Wanted to work with manatees. Save the manatees, right? Um, and that stayed in place for a while. But then, you know, had a my dad had a little heart-to-heart with me at some point and was like, dude. He probably didn't say dude, but for the sake of the story. Well, dude, um, we live in Michigan. Your best marine biology options are probably going to be places like Florida, California, Hawaii, as far as like going to college and really like pursuing things and like becoming a marine biologist. And like, you know, we're not poor, but like, that's probably not going to happen. Like, we're not going to be able to send you to school somewhere in Florida, Texas coast, California, Hawaii, probably not going to happen. Might want to think about maybe, maybe changing some of your uh, career ambitions, especially when we're trying to study manatees, right? Like have to come to Florida for that. So uh, somewhere in, in that range, and still being a sports fan, still loving, loving athlete, athletics, decided that, you know what? Athletic training might not be bad. Like I might not have the, uh, the raw talent to be an athlete at the highest level, but like I'm kind of smart and I could probably, you know, do this whole taping ankles and rehabbing injuries and helping people stay healthy situation. I could probably make that happen. And so I don't know exactly when that was, probably like freshman year of high school, like that kind of was like, oh yeah, that sounds awesome. I can still be around sports. I can still be around athletes and, and, and teams. Um, but I don't have to be an athlete to do it. Yeah. Sounds good. Fast forward to, I graduate high school. I come to college in Florida to study athletic training, which I could have easily done back in Michigan. Um, so maybe I could have stayed in the, uh, the marine biology thing and come to school in Florida. And you know, maybe the, maybe the path is different. Um, but ultimately settled on athletic training, pursued it. And, uh, you know, here we are. And a big part of how we're here is because of the athletic training stuff. So, you know, as much as I'm, I'm very much glad that I don't, I'm not a practicing athletic trainer anymore. I'm not living that kind of life. Um, it's a good thing that dad told me I couldn't go to school in Florida and I need to change my career ambitions. Um, because all of this wouldn't be a thing if it weren't for that. So, uh, thank you for the, uh, the question there, Melody, a little, I don't know if that was more than you wanted or less, but, uh, you know, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. That's something we try to instill in Addison and Maybe I'll instill that in uh, some of y'all a little bit today as well. Uh, second question from Melody. I see you did your math test the other day. How is that all going? Are you seeing progress? So it's going really well. It's going really well. For those that are unaware, and we got another math question coming up here and another uh, couple questions from Barb. Um, but the math test is is the maximum aerobic functioning test, uh, something that as a, as a heart rate trainer, devotee, uh, it's kind of, it's a good progress test. It's kind of like, you know, if you, if you maybe do time trials or things like that as, as tests of your fitness and, and measuring your progress, the math test is kind of a similar to that, except instead of going balls to the wall all out for a mile or three miles or five miles or whatever, it's a little bit more controlled effort. You're trying to keep your heart rate in a really small window. And then you gauge progress on what is my average pace or what is my pace per mile? Um, with my heart rate in this small window of just a few beats one way or the other, how are we doing? And if that pace is, is improving, I guess it would be decreasing, right? But if it's, if it's getting faster as you go, that means you're making progress, building your aerobic fitness and and making progress, uh, with the heart rate training. So, um, I started doing these a couple of years ago, um, was very inconsistent. Most all of last year, I think I did one, so really inconsistent. And one of my goals for 2021 is to do one math test each month. So, uh, this, you know, earlier this week on, on Tuesday, um, the last Tuesday of this month, I did my math test for April and, uh, 
I was very pleasantly surprised with how it went, actually. I mean, the, the test usually is fine. Um, I usually finish it feeling like pretty pretty optimistic. They're like, all right, well, maybe this was a, this was a bit faster than the last one. Like, you know, maybe making progress. And to be quite, quite honest, January, February, March um, didn't really, like, kind of had, you know, it was kind of just all the same. I had one month a little slower, one month a little faster, but they're all like within five or five or six seconds per mile of the same, right? Um, and this one, the one I just did, I finished it and I was like, eh, you know, it was fine, I guess. I'm sure it's probably about the same as, as the last few I did. Um, and lo and behold, it was like 25 seconds faster per mile than it was in March. So, uh, yeah, I'm still doing it. And for the first time this year, I saw like really marked progress. Um, stay tuned for the May math test where either we'll prove that this new pace this 817 pace is, is some, something close to, to sticking around or it was an outlier. Um, I'm a little worried it might be an outlier, but maybe because it's probably going to be hotter in May. And that of course has an impact on things. Um, but yeah, I did it and I'm doing it, you know, every month this year so far at least and planning to stick with it. And, and, I think it's just a, it's a good barometer. It's a good barometer, something that I sh- I've been lazy about for myself, and I need to do a better job of of being on top of that. And uh, maybe you know, with some of the folks I'm, that I work with that are into the heart rate training, um, definitely need to, to be more consistent about scheduling it for them as well, because it is Im- important. And if you have no idea what a math test is, hang on, because we're going to talk about it after this question from Alan. Uh, question from Alan: multi-part motivation question. So I guess maybe multiple questions from Alan. Although it's really just one big question all rolled into a bunch of questions. Anyway, uh, what percentage of your runs are you itching to complete? What percentage of them do you feel meh about? What percentage do you drag your feet and dread completing? How has your motivation for running grown or waned through the years that you've been a runner? So, you know, kind of the, the first the first block of those questions or the first chunk there, what percentage of your runs am I excited about? My words, but that's how I'm going to say, what am I, am I excited about? What am I meh about? And what do I not really care to do? Um, honestly, and you know, I mean, if there's anything I'm going to do, I'm going to be honest when I answer these questions. Um, most of them are meh. Like when I wake up in the morning, it's rare that I'm like, oh, hell yeah. It's five o'clock in the morning. I can't wait to get out there and run the six mile loop through my neighborhood. Like it's rare. (laughs) I every once in a while, maybe like if it's a, if it's a workout day, um, or if, if, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's probably the only reason, uh, and I don't even really care that much about workouts, but like if it's a workout day, maybe, uh, more than likely the, the only times I'm really excited about going for a run are, are days when I'm somewhere else, you know, like if I'm, if I'm visiting my in-laws and it's not like I'm excited to go for a run cause it gets me out of my, you know, gets me away from my in-laws for a minute. Um, although, you know, I mean, that might be part of it. I love my in-laws now, to be clear. Uh, it's the same thing when I'm visiting my family, like just give me away, I like time for myself, right? Like introverts, introvert. And when I'm at somebody else's house, I don't get much introvert time. So my runs are the only time. So those might be the times that I'm excited for it. If I happen to be visiting some other location, whether, you know, there's a conference or something like that, which clearly I haven't been to any of those in a while, but like, you know, the opportunity to go explore in a different city, I'm excited for those runs, but those are few and far between these days either visiting family or visiting other cities. So, I mean, what percentage of my runs am I itching to complete? Like, I mean, single digits, probably like not very many. Um, what percentage do you feel minute about most of them? 75%, 80%. And it's not that I like, I'm not like, it's not that I don't like running, right? Clearly I enjoy it. I, I, I love it. Um, and, and maybe the, I don't, I hope this doesn't come out wrong, but like, 
I, I enjoy it in large part because once I'm going, it's good. When I'm finished, it's great. Getting started, I mean, you know, like I'm kind of human. Like I'd rather just stay in bed for an extra hour. Rather, you know, fire up the Xbox or queue up something on Netflix or, you know, just sit and screw around on my phone. Um, but I know that once I get going, once I'm a quarter mile into my run, like we're good. But like, do I feel about getting out the door? Like if eh, the, the pre-run motivation, not often there, right? Like, but I know that afterwards I'm gonna be happy. I did it. I'm gonna be glad I did it. I've got my running goals, things I'm working. Like I've got all these reasons to do it. I'm a better person because of it. So like I'm, I make it happen. And once we get out the door, we're good. As far as uh, how much, what percentage do I drag my feet in dread? I mean, I'd say probably a, a quarter ish, you know, somewhere between 20 and 25%, primarily the long runs. Um, primarily the long runs that I'm, that I do solo, uh, because it's just like, ugh. like I, and again, I feel better afterwards. Um, maybe don't enjoy those. Like I'm, I'm usually good for like the first half. Um, and then you start to go, Oh my gosh, like there's still eight miles to go. And, Oh, I thought it was farther than that. So then that kind of drags on me a little bit. Um, I'm always glad I did it afterwards, but like I drag my feet a lot more on Saturday mornings than I do any other morning. Um, and especially on Saturday mornings, if I'm not running with my running partner, right? So Kate, get your ass healthy so we can run together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I am not often looking forward to 15 to 18 miles by myself. Like that doesn't, that, that doesn't sound fun most of the time I do it and I'm glad I do it afterwards. But as far as dragging my feet, maybe not dread completing, but dread starting. Those are the days. Those are the days. Glad when those are finished. Um, just being honest. I mean, I think that anybody that you talk to this is like, Oh, they just look forward. They're ecstatic about every run. They're full of it. They're full of it. And I'm human as much as anybody. And, uh, you know, if I'm honest, I'm only chomping at the bit once in a while, few and far between most of the time, eh. but I'm always glad, always glad I got it done. Even on Saturdays by myself, always glad that I did it, which is why I get out there and do it. Right. Uh, last part of, of your question, Alan, great question, by the way, Alan, appreciate it. Uh, last part of the question, how has your motivation for running grown or waned throughout the years, uh, that you've been a runner? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably similar. It probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, obviously there's periods that I'm super, you know, super been more excited, been super excited about it. Uh, you know, training for a race, first races, things like that, having that race motivation. Uh, and there's been times that I've like, you know, been so burned out by running that I walked away, not for permanently and never even like intended to walk away permanently, but like, I'm just, I just need a month off. I need two weeks off. Um, but the last couple few years, especially since I've focused more on heart rate training and just, just showing up, doing the work, not worried about pace, not worried about hammering all the time. Um, you know, there's, there's a little ups and downs, especially, you know, on Saturdays by myself, eh, a little bit of lack of motivation there. Um, but otherwise, I mean, been pretty consistent, been pretty consistent, both in showing up and get my runs in, been pretty consistent with the motivation of just kind of like, eh, yeah, we're going to do it. Whether, whether we're fired up, whether we're dreading it, whether we're probably more often than not in, in between, it's going to happen. So, you know, the motivation has been relatively consistent, relatively meh for uh, the last couple of years. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. Like I, I say, like this is one of those cases where meh isn't necessarily bad. It's just like, you know, I'm human. I'm human, right? I love running, but you know, I like my, love my bed a little bit more sometimes, a lot of times. Um, but I love that feeling of being finished with my run. And that's the motivation that gets me out the door, 
even when I, even when I'm feeling meh, and especially when I'm feeling like I don't want to. All right. So, uh, glad, glad you uh, asked the question, Alan. Hopefully that, that hits home with a lot of you that, that I'm not some like superhuman that like just loves, like the loves getting started with every run. Cause I don't, I don't. And if you're there with me, I don't know. You'd be the judge if you're in good company, but you're in company at least. All right. Uh, but thank you for the questions, Alan. Appreciate it. Uh, home stretch. One, two, three, four, five questions to go. First one from Barb, also related to math testing. Could you go through the steps of a math test and what parameters do you take into consideration? I absolutely will, Barb. Uh, but I also want to point you to episode 544. It's from a little ways back in the archive, but if you search for math tests in your podcasting app or on the website, you should be able to find it. Um, did a little bit more of a deep dive in, as a quick tip episode. Uh, and I'm trying not to, uh, you know, take 20 minutes to answer this question here. Like I took 20 minutes of explaining it there. Um, but, but here are the highlights, right? So like I already mentioned with, with Melody's question, the math test is all about gauging progress at a sub-maximal level. So at the aerobic heart rate level, how are you doing? Are you building your aerobic fitness? Are you not? It kind of helps to answer that question. So basically what you're looking at or what, what, what you want to consider if you're going to start to implement math testing into your into your training cycle, training routine is you want a, a course that's as repeatable as possible. So whether that's on the track, whether that's on your treadmill, whether that's on a specific treadmill at the gym, whether that's a route in your neighborhood, like whatever it is, it needs to be something that, that you can eliminate as many variables as possible. So if you're always doing it at the gym on the treadmill, that's cool. But if it's a different treadmill, every time your readings may or may not be the same, right? So you want to make sure it's a, it's a treadmill that's calibrated the same. Ideally, probably not a treadmill at all, but you know, you do what you got to do. If it's track, that's cool. If it's the, if it's a route in your neighborhood, cool, but make sure you know it's the, the exact route and do it exactly the same every time, you know, make sure that the Hill's always at the same spot. Make sure that you're starting your watch at the same time, finishing at the same time, because we want the, the route to be as close to the same as possible. Ideally as exactly the same as possible, because that's going to, you know, if, if it's a different route every time, different hills, different slopes, different wind situations, yada, yada, yada. I mean, something that you can't control. You can't control the wind. You can't control the weather, but you can control the same route, the same time of day, um, which I guess isn't factored into the route, but it's another thing to consider because you want the, the main variable to be your aerobic fitness. All right. So then you set your heart rate parameters, which for me, my normal everyday run, as long as I'm 141 beats per minute or below, I'm cool. I don't worry about being at 135 or 127, like anywhere in there, fine, making progress. On math test day, my window, 138 to 141. Now I might, and I do get outside of that a little bit, a beat here, a beat there, but I'm doing everything. Like I'm watching my, my, I'm keeping an eye on my watch a lot more closely, trying to keep my, my heart rate in that window. However fast or slow that, that means I'm running right? Sometimes a little faster than we, then as the run goes, as fatigue builds up, uh, you start to slow down a little bit, but we're trying to keep that heart rate in that window. Um, so I have a set route. It's a 3.2 mile route. Basically it starts at my driveway, runs up to this lake in the neighborhood, around the lake, back to my driveway. Um, and I, I start the watch for my warm up. Of course I do like a little mile, mile plus warm up. hit the lap button when I get to, and I have a workout set on my watch, right? I, I get, I hit the lap button when I get to my driveway, run up around the lake, back, hit the lap button and then do a cool down afterwards. And then when I'm looking at the results, I don't care about the overall times. I don't care about the overall averages. I don't care about the warm up cool down. None of that stuff matters. All I'm focused on 
what was the average pace, average per miles, uh, you know, my miley average for that 3.2 miles. All right. And what is my heart rate? So hopefully my heart rate average is going to be within that 138 to 141. You know, like I said, I'm going to have a, few, a little bit here and there where I'm outside the, the engines, but I'm going to try to, to compensate, keep it in that window. And then what's my average pace? And then month to month, check that. Things to other things to consider. Like I said, time of day. Try to do it the same time of day every day. Because if you do it one time first thing in the morning and one time later in the day after you've had a couple cups of coffee and lunch and this and that and the other, like I guarantee you that all that coffee, caffeine, food, stress of the day, heat of the day, like that that one is going to be miserable in terms of how much slower you're going to have to go to keep your heart rate in that window to get, you know, to, to have a quote unquote accurate test, but it's not going to be accurate. It's not going to be, it's going to be accurate, but it's not going to be comparable to that previous test. So try to do it the same time of day, probably with no caffeine, uh, probably, you know, um, same type of warm up. like try to eliminate as many other variables as possible. Um, and, and just do it month to month and see what happens. See what happens. So hope all that makes sense. Like I said, episode 544, disruns.com slash 544, um, has a little bit more detail, a little more explanation to it. And, uh, something I'm happy to talk about more, uh, and we'll talk about more spoiler alert things coming. Um, when I get into all the heart rate stuff that I know I've been promising and teasing, and I still haven't officially started with, but it's, it's on the agenda. Um, that's going to be a big part of it. So we'll, we'll have some more in-depth coverage there as well, but that's, that's the parameters, same route, small heart rate window, same time of day. And, uh, you know, just kind of watching that average pace of that, that segment of the run two miles to four miles is kind of the, the recommended distance. No real benefit of going longer and no real benefit even of going into four miles versus two miles. As long as you're getting a couple miles out there that you can kind of enough time that you start to fatigue a little bit and you're, you're struggling to keep that heart rate in the zone. That's what we need. And then you just monitor it month to month and see how the, see how it progresses. Um, so thank you for the question, Barb. Always love talking to heart rate training stuff. Although I know some of you gloss over when I start talking about heart rate and math and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, interesting thing an interesting challenge and, uh, something that I've, I've should have embraced more consistently earlier, but I'm glad that I have, uh, so far this year and, and definitely plan to keep it going. Uh, Lesterberg chiming in with another question. What bacon is the best bacon and why? All the bacon is the best bacon. That is the right question or the right answer. Um, not going to lie. I'm not real keen on some of the spicier, like pepper jack type of bacon. Like I'm not going to say no to it, but you know, um, probably like maple bacon's pretty good. Like apple, apple, apple wood smoked bacon. That's good stuff. Um, and just regular, I mean, bacon, bacon's good. Bacon's good. We'll take it. We'll ask questions about specific preferences another time. Like thick slice, of course, not too crispy. You get it too crispy. Pfft, waste of time. Like I don't want it raw. Of course I don't want it flimsy. That's where thick, thick cut is better because you can cook it a little bit, but it doesn't become crisp. Um, you get a little, mar- a little bit wider margin of, of error in there as far as cook time, uh, to not make it too crispy. Uh, but, and that's why not for nothing. That's why I rarely order bacon at a restaurant because it's almost, Oh, even you like, like not crispy, then it's raw crispy and it's burnt to a crisp. So at a restaurant sausage for the win at home, bacon, Hand, well, not hands down, bacon and sausage for the win. Um, three questions left, two from the man with two first names. Uh, Jason Dennis asking, what is the best way to choose which marathon to travel to next? It could be based on cost or travel time or where children would have the most fun uh, or the race with the best reputation. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you, you asked the question, Jason, then you answered it. I mean, I don't know, what, what else am I going to add to? I, all those things come into, come into play. 
Um, and, and obviously there's no one universal, like this is the only thing you should consider. Like, yeah, all those come into play. You know, you could also factor if you're trying to like BQ or PR, like, you know, probably don't want to run like a, a race like Blue Ridge, uh, where it's like a 10 million feet of elevation, like might want something a little bit flatter, might want something with a little bit of a, of a net downhill. Um, you know, but if you want scenery, you want, inv- like there's so many things taken into, into consideration, um, that there is no best way to choose which marathon to travel to next. Like which one, which, which time of year fits you? Like, like there's so many things to consider, uh, that all need to be weighed whenever you're making that decision. So, you know, you, you just got to find the run. That's the right fit that checks as many boxes as possible for you. That's the right one. Um, but you know, what boxes you want checked and what boxes I want checked may very well be different and that's okay. It doesn't mean that one race is better than the other. It just means that one's better for me. One's better for you. Cool. Cool. Uh, next question from Jason. Uh, have you ever wanted to live out of a van or RV and just travel the USA as portrayed in Oscar winner Nomadland? Is this, is this like a plug for Nomadland somehow? Um, I, I, I've heard about the movie like last week. Um, haven't seen it. No idea what it's talking about, but have you ever wanted to live out of a van or, or RV and just travel around? Like, yeah, sure. It's one of those things to me. That's one of those things that sounds awesome until you start to like try to think about the practicalities of it. And then I'm like, eh, you know, I kind of like having a house. Like if I was single again, like if I was fresh out of college, no, no concerns and had the, the ability to do, maybe, you know, had a job like this, it's online. I could work from, I could work remote, like work from virtual places. Um, I mean, then I'd probably be all in with the family hard pass. Like maybe like, maybe for like a little vacation or for a month or something like that, get the RV. So we have a little more space. Um, but if it was just me, like I could see just like getting a, you know, you don't even need to be like a, a van. I mean, it could be like just an SUV, something like that. Something I can stretch out enough to sleep into. Yeah. I mean, I could do that by myself, maybe with the dog, take the dog with me too. I love my girls, but like, I need a little bit of space from them. My dog, like we're good. We're good. Um, don't tell, like, this is one of those things that Rebecca doesn't listen to the podcast comments. So y'all keep your mouth shut about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sounds good, but like practically, no, I like, you know, in, in an earlier phase of my life. Yeah. I've been all in these days. Eh, not so much. I do like driving though. I like, I like sightseeing. I like traveling the country on the road. Um, but yeah, the, the ship has probably sailed for me to like realistically be like up for the idea of living out of my, my car. Like, eh, probably not. Last question coming from Chantel. Uh, I'm running my first full marathon the last weekend in May. It's not a race, just me and my best running friend hitting the road for 26.2 miles. Our plan is to do four loops around my house so we have access to cold water um, and a washroom. Just wondering about pacing with it being my first. We have no time goal and just want to complete the distance. But should we go out nice and slow for the first two loops and then start to increase the pace the last two loops? I don't want to crash and burn early on. Uh, first of all, Chantel, um, don't want to jinx anything, but welcome to club 26.2 next month. You know, last, last month of not being part of the club and looking forward to welcoming you with open arms when you, uh, when you get it done. And, and honestly, I love this idea of doing your first marathon with no pressure, right? No worries about pacing, no worries about start lines, finish lines, congestions, um, just you and your, you and your friend out there for 26 miles. Well, 26.2, of course. Um, and just enjoying it and having the ability to like come in, use the bathroom, get something to refill water bottles, get something to drink, have a bite to eat. Like all of the logistical concerns, all of the, uh, maybe not all, but a lot of those concerns of like running a quote unquote proper race, they're gone. 
You can just focus on 26.2 miles, no time limits, no cutoffs, nothing like that. Um, so I say to just embrace that. Run the first two laps easy, run the last two laps even easier. Now, if you're feeling good, your training's gone well, you want to pick up the pace a little bit. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but I feel like you're in this, you're in the, the most low pressure, low stakes, first marathon situation. And to, to just embrace that, to just cruise, to just experience what it's like to be on your feet for 26.2 miles. And, and for lack of a better way of saying it, just set the bar low because, and, and I don't mean it that way, of course, but like, like don't set some type of lofty expectation where all right, I'm going to run the first two laps easy. And then I'm gonna run the last 13 miles. We're going to try to push the pace a little bit. And then if it does blow up or if it does not go according to plan, then you're like, Oh, like it's kind of disappointing. Like, you don't want that. Set the bar of like, Hey, you know, we're just going to, we're going to run the first two and then run, walk the third one and then walk the last one. And then as long as you do that mission accomplished, if you run the, the third one and run, walk the fourth one, Hey, did better than we thought. If you run all four of them, whoa, fantastic. If you run the last two faster than the first two, like, oh my gosh, how could this have gone any better? Right? Like, like, so, so set the, set the bar so low that there's no way you can come in underneath it. And then you're, you're, you're guaranteed to be better than expectations. Um, but I mean, yeah, the first marathon, it's all about just finishing it. It's all about getting it done. Um, and it sounds like good time with a good friend low pressure, low stakes. I mean, I love it. I love everything about it. And I think that, that you should just have zero expectations. Definitely try not to crash and burn. Like we don't want to do that. So just go out, have fun, listen to your body, take what it's given you. Um, and you know, walk, run, crawl, run, walk, run, whatever. However it shakes out, get that 26.2 miles, learn from it. And then the next time, maybe have a little more structure, a little more plan for how you want to attack it. Whether it's another S and G race or whether whether it's a, a quote unquote proper race at some point in the future. Uh, but just finish the first one and then worry about the second one as far as how you might want to do it differently. If that hopefully makes a little bit of sense, but thank you for the question and good luck. Good luck. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Um, and, uh, and like I said, to be able to welcome you into club 26.2 in, uh, in about a month. So love it. Love it. And that my friends is that look at me. Less than two hours, less than an hour and 45 minutes, just a touch over an hour and a half. Not bad. Not bad. If I do say so myself, if I do pat myself on the back for a job well done of answering all the questions. So that is it for the April Q&A episode. What'd you think? What'd you think? What, what, what questions did I get wrong? Which ones did maybe I, I help you out with a little bit? Uh, let me know. At Nizruns on Twitter, at Nizruns on Instagram. You can also send an email, of course, to disruns at gmail.com. Or you can head over to the show notes for today. Um, some solid uh, some solid contributions to the meme slash GIF collection for today's episode. Um, disruns.com slash 939 is the link today. All the memes, all the GIFs, a few links. Uh, all the things are there. Uh, but also, of course, there's that comment section down at the bottom. Let me know what you think there. If you're, if you're catching this one on the YouTube, there's a comment section there as well. You can let me know on YouTube as well for all the quick tips and Q&A episodes. Thanks to Michaela for uh, taking care of that stuff for me. I, I appreciate you doing the heavy lifting. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, just a, a, one more time, if you're so inclined to get yourself to join our little merry band of misfits on Facebook, the Diz Runs tribe over there, uh, dizruns.com slash Facebook, or just, you know, when you're on Facebook, just search for Diz Runs. Two words, D-I-Z space... R-U-N-S. 
click to join the tribe. We'll let you in. And uh, sometime in a couple of weeks, I'll put a post up that says, what are your questions? You ask, I answer. And we'll do this again next month, all right? Uh, But until then, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? See ya.